Welcome, New City Church. I feel like we should have that music every week as I get up to preach. That'd be great, right? Uh, hey, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, thanks for being here this weekend. This weekend, we kick off a new sermon series called The Art of Neighboring. You may be familiar with this. This is a book in 2012 by Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. So over the next three weeks, uh, we're joining over 100 churches uh, representing over 50,000 people in the Charlotte metro area, walking through uh, the content of this book, which is really uh, the content of Jesus's message, uh, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor uh, as yourself. And so we're excited uh, for that. It's very fitting uh, that we're going through this sermon series at this time. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know that our mission statement, our purpose statement is to be a community of Christ followers who are bringing gospel renewal uh, to our city and world. And if you've ever wondered, how can I be a part of that? What's that mean to live that out? I hope uh, that throughout this uh, series that you'll see that neighboring is a vital way in which you can participate in the mission of God and participate in the purpose of our church. And so it's very uh, fitting that we're going through this sermon series at this time. It's also very fitting because we are launching our Idlewild campus uh, later on this month. So Sunday, uh, October 27th, the Idlewild campus will launch. And again, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we've been partnering with the Idlewild neighborhood uh, for years. And uh, we've been partnering with that neighborhood, partnering specifically uh, with Idlewild Elementary School and Urban Promise in the area. And some of the fruits uh, of that work is the fact that we're launching a campus there uh, later this month. And so as a tool for all of us, there's a card that you should have received when you came in the back today. If you didn't get one, you can get one uh, on your way out. And there's just some ways uh, that we can be thinking and praying for Idlewild. Uh, we'd love for you to be praying. Be praying for the launch team there as they begin ministry in that area. We'd love for you to consider giving as well. And so during the month of October, there's a special fund uh, set aside in which you can give uh, toward the launching of the Idlewild campus and future uh, campuses down the road. And so you can give. Uh, so be doing that and you can, you can attend. You can attend on October 27th. Uh, you can attend after that. We would love for you uh, to be thinking about that and praying about that. So take this card with you to serve uh, as a prompt for you all as you go about your week. Uh, with our Idlewild campus launching and just uh, as a church, as we go through this series, we're gonna be wrestling uh, with some of the following questions. What if we took Jesus's great commandment literally? What if we took it literally? What would God do in our midst? How would he change us? How would he change our city? And we're gonna to start to answer some of those questions tonight. Uh, but before we get there, would you uh, join me in prayer as we think about our Idlewild campus, as we think about the 100 plus churches going through the same sermon series this weekend. Would you join me in prayer? <clears throat> Lord, we are thankful uh, to be a part of this move in our city, uh, this move that really that, that you're doing and we get to be a part of it. And so uh, we pray for our church, Lord, we pray for us that we would uh, take uh, your great commandment seriously. We would take it literally, and it would change us. It would change us from the inside out. It would change our church. And uh, by the work of your Holy Spirit, that it might change in a small way, a small tangible way, our city. Lord, we do pray for our Idlewild campus as they launch. Lord, we, uh, we want them, they want to be uh, good neighbors to that community. And so would you give them wisdom, and discernment to know how to do that, how to be salt and light. And so we, we pray that as they go into the neighborhood. And we pray for these hundred plus churches along with us who are proclaiming your great commandments this weekend and um, just the idea of loving our neighbors as ourselves. We pray that it would 
uh, change those churches and continue to change our city as well. We're thankful for all you're doing in our midst, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and hop into our text uh, for this evening. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Matthew 22, uh, verses 34 through 40. If you don't have a Bible, if you raise your hand, uh, one of our hosts will get one to you. Matthew 22, uh, verses 34 through 40. You know this passage most likely. It's known as the Great uh, Commandment. And as we look at this passage, uh, we're going to see the call for us to, to love the far, to love the near, and to love the Lord. And that's going to serve as an outline for us this evening. To love the far, to love the near, and love the Lord. And so we're going to start with loving the far, and we're going to start with uh, the text. And so Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40 says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so just some context uh, for this passage here. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and this is uh, during what we call Passion Week, right? And at this time, uh, all of his adversaries are coming at him, trying to zing him, trying to stump him uh, with questions. And so in the previous passage, the Sadducees came to him and tried to stump him about marriage and the resurrection, and he he fixed that. He he, uh, He answered that question well, and now the Pharisees are taking their shot, and they're sending a lawyer, they're sending an expert uh, to zing Jesus about the great commandment. And you have to understand that at this time, during this time, the rabbis would have this ongoing discussion about the 613 laws in the Old Testament, and they would have this discussion about how do we categorize, how do we catalog these laws? Which ones are weighty? And which ones are light, right? And so when the the lawyer comes to Jesus with this question, he's essentially asking, which is the weightiest law? Which is the most important law? It's a very academic, scholarly question. And so think about this. The, The expert, right, this lawyer who's sent to stump Jesus is asking uh, the one man who's ever perfectly obeyed each one of those laws and commands. Pretty interesting, right? And Jesus, the way he answers uh, the question, challenges the lawyer. And in the process, he's challenging us too. Uh, The first thing Jesus says is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And in saying this, Jesus is not saying anything new. In fact, he's saying something very historic. He's reciting what's known as the Shema. The Shema is from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. You've probably heard this before too. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And this confession would be recited daily, twice a day in fact, by every devout Jew. It was as important to Judaism as the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed is for us, right? So Jesus is connecting the great commandment to something very historic in the Shema. But then he goes on and he says, and the second 
is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in this, Jesus is echoing Leviticus 19. He's saying the sum of the law is to love your neighbor. The sum of the law is to love your neighbor. So in one way, Jesus is not saying anything new, right? Yet how Jesus connected the love of God to the love of neighbor is radical. It's radical. Think about this. You can't love God and despise your neighbor, right? You can't love God and despise your neighbor. There's no silos in the great commandment. There's no exception clause. They are weaved and knitted together. Not only that, the standard in which we are to love our neighbor is extremely high. Did you notice that? It's extremely high. The standard is not just don't let your dog defecate on your neighbor's lawn, right? It's not just don't run over your uh, neighbor's mailbox with your car. Those are good things, by the way, okay? Minimal things, they're minimal things. Listen, this is the, 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 the super important part about this. What he's saying is all the longings that I have for my own safety and security and success and flourishing and happiness, all of those longings, I'm called to now want those very same things for my neighbor as if he or she were me. In other words, Jesus is saying, make make the extent of your self-seeking the measure of your self-giving. Make the extent of your self-seeking the measure of your self-giving. Have you ever thought about that? That's pretty crazy. That's intimidating, right? That's one high bar that Jesus is setting. And guess what? The bar gets even higher. Because in the Luke account, there's more to the story. There's more to the story. The text says, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And once again, the lawyer, he's trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus goes on to tell the story of the good Samaritan. You know this story, right? A man is going from Jerusalem to Jericho and robbers uh, beat him up. They strip him. They take his money. And a Levite walks by and a priest walks by and none of them stop except a Samaritan stops, right? Samaritan stops. He has compassion. He cares for the man. He brings the man to safety and he pays an innkeeper to take good care of him. And then Jesus ends the story in Luke with these words. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the original question was, who is my neighbor? And think about it, did Jesus answer that question? Did he answer that question? It's interesting. Instead of answering who is my neighbor, Jesus tells us how to be a loving neighbor. Have you ever thought about that before? And in the process, he is saying, we can can only conclude from this that everybody, everybody is our neighbor. So Jesus is saying, there are no strangers in the kingdom, right? There are only neighbors. No strangers in the kingdom, only neighbors. So not only am I to love my neighbor 
as I loved myself, to make myself seeking the source of my self-giving, I'm to do that with everybody, everyone. That is a high bar. Think about that. The person who drives down the road with their left-hand turn blinker on for six miles without turning left at 25 miles per hour, they're my neighbor, right? The person who's on the other side of the political divide than, than me and posts daily on Facebook about it, they're my neighbor, right? The person in the cubicle next to me who has no volume control, low self-awareness, and talks entirely too much, they're my neighbor. They're my neighbor. And to all of them, I'm called to seek their welfare as if I'm seeking my own. Jesus has set the bar high. So we're called to love the far away, uh, but we're also called to love the near, those who are closest to us. Uh, This series, The Art of Neighboring, is based on a book. And in the book, one of the the authors, Dave, who's a pastor, he tells this story. Uh, His church wants to serve their city well, right? And so they go to the city council meeting, they meet with city leaders, and they say, hey, how can we serve the city well? What can we do to improve the life of the city? And they had lots of great and grand, extravagant ideas of programs and ministries they could do to help their city. But they wanted to listen first, right? And so the assistant city manager says to Dave, by the way, the assistant city manager who's not a Christian, He says to Dave, you know what? If your church could just be good neighbors, that would help. That would help. In fact, when people are good neighbors, uh, crime goes down, and people live longer, and we don't get as many calls about disturbances. So the assistant city manager, who's not a Christian, is preaching to the pastor saying, you know what? Just obey the great commandment. Just obey the great commandment. It's pretty amazing that a non-believer was calling the church to obey God's word. So as we just, uh, just discussed, our neighbors are everybody, including those who are actual physical neighbors, those who are right next door, those who are nearest to us. This is what Paul uh, was saying in Acts 17. You don't need to turn there. I'm just gonna read it really quick. Paul's in Athens and he is, he's talking to the non-believers there, and he's commenting about their spiritual curiosity. And he says, I noticed that you have this altar with an inscription to an unknown God, and I want to tell you about that God. And in Acts 17, he says this, and he, that God, made one man of every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he is actually not far from each one of us. What Paul is saying here is that God is sovereign, and he sovereignly placed us where we're at, among people, in a place for a purpose. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but there's a reason why you weren't born in 1800. There's a reason why you're not in another country right now. God has sovereignly placed you exactly where he wants you to be. So I'm gonna do something. I hate when preachers do this, but I'm gonna do it, okay? You guys ready for this? Close your eyes. Can you close your eyes for just a second? Bear with me here. Close your eyes. I want you to think about your address right now, where you live. I want you to think about your address. I want you to think about your home. 
I want you to think about the units around you, the houses around you, the trees around you. I want you to think about the people around you, okay? Are you picturing this? This is exactly, exactly where God wants you to be, exactly. He has put you in that place and he's saying, love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. You can open your eyes. Thanks for bearing with me. You're a good, you're a good crew. You're a good crew. Um, so obeying the great commandment begins with those who are nearest to you. Uh, I mentioned this card earlier. If you have the card, you can flip to the other side. There's a tool that we have for you to help you, and I'm going to explain this. And so on one side is the Idlewild prayer a request, and on the other side, there's a map, okay? There's a map here. And uh, before we get to the map, here's an honest question, okay? This is a smaller room. We can do this. I want you to raise your hand, honestly, okay, before God, okay? Who here knows the names of their eight nearest neighbors? Raise your hand if you know that. Anybody? Okay. We've got, we got, we got a few. Okay. All right. All right. This is good. This is good. Well, for most of us, most of us, we don't, okay? So here's the challenge. This map, right, don't make this a sheet of shame. Make it your mission this week. And here's how this works, okay? First step, first step, learn your neighbor's names, okay? First step, learn your neighbor's names. Now listen, uh, boss, champ, neighbor, hermit lady, Mr. Longcare, those don't count, okay? <laughs> those don't count as names. Learn their actual names, okay? When you learn their names, record it on the map, okay? This map might not work perfectly for your geography, but the eight nearest neighbors to you, put it on the map. And then take this card and hang it on your fridge or your mirror in your bathroom somewhere where you see it so that it's a prompt for you to learn the names of the neighbors you don't know, but then the ones that you do know to pray for them, okay? You have homework this week, people. You guys ready for this? This is your homework. Take this card with you and start with that. Learn your neighbor's names, okay? Now, if that sounds daunting, and it should, by the way, if that sounds daunting, here's some idea. Here's some strategies to help you connect with your neighbors. You ready? Here's the first one. Borrow things, okay? <laughs> I do this all the time. Borrow tools, borrow sugar, Borrow a book, borrow things from your neighbor. It's a great way to learn their names. Also, give things to your neighbors, right? Give them a meal, make them brownies, give them a book. Again, a great way uh, to meet your neighbors. Thirdly, go outside, go outside. People are outside, go outside, all right? Eat a meal outside in a common uh, place in your neighborhood or complex, walk your dog, Walk your kids, go outside. Chances are you're gonna meet your neighbors. Uh, fourthly, here's a crazy idea, okay? Go buy some donuts, buy coffee, and in the morning, on a Monday morning, sit at the exit of your street, of your complex, of your neighborhood, and pass out coffee and donuts as people go to work. You'll make friends really quick, okay? Those are some easy, quick things you can do to get to know your neighbors. Regardless of your strategy, here's the deal, make an effort, right? Make an effort because, here's the deal, we're called to love our literal neighbors and it's hard to love them if we don't know their names, right? 
Would you agree? It's hard to love them if we don't know their names. So get to know their names. So the great commandment, love the far, uh, love the near, and lastly and most importantly, love the Lord. Love the Lord. Now, do you remember back to the Matthew 22 passage? How Jesus uh, answered the lawyer's question back. He said, teacher, the lawyer says, teacher, which is your great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Before we can even think about loving our neighbor, we first have to contemplate, we have to wrestle with loving God. And how does this text call us to love God? With all of our hearts and souls and minds. In other words, with everything, with every fiber of our being, with complete dedication, we are called to love God. And that realization should cause us some pause and should force us to ask, do we really love God that way? Do we really love God with every fiber of our being? And the answer is no and yes. No in our flesh, we don't. Yes, only empowered by the Holy Spirit and only when we pursue this wholehearted love of God once we understand his love for us, right? So what's his love for us look like? Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Psalm 136, 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Are you getting a picture of God's love, his sacrificial, loyal, committed love for us? You see, God's love always takes the initiative, always. His love always takes the initiative. We see this clearly in the incarnation, right? John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelled among us. In other words, the word became flesh and moved in to the neighborhood, and he pitched his tent right next to ours. In fact, we see God's initiating love all throughout the Bible. And there's a Hebrew word for this, and the word is hesed. It's a way to describe this initiating love. And in English, sometimes we translate it as steadfast love, or faithful, or loyal, or committed, or mercy, right? And it just refers to God's sturdy, faithful love for us. We see it in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, surely goodness and mercy and God's hesed love, his faithful, committed, pursuing love is always pursuing us. Of course, the fullness of, Lord, of the Lord's hesed love is most clearly seen in the cross. There, Jesus Christ himself, the only human to ever faithfully and loyally pursue the love of God and love of neighbor perfectly, was treated as a criminal and cursed for our sin. So that we, 
who are unfaithful, who are uncommitted, might be clothed in his faithfulness and his righteousness. This is God's initiating love in action. So we need to remember that God's love always moves first and our love, flawed and imperfect as it is, is always a response, always a response to that love. And this helps frame in what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's our aim. That's what we're trying to do in response to what God has done for us. And this is important because it makes our obedience about overflow and not about legalism. It's about overflow. It's not about checking a box, right? Our love for God and love for neighbor should be the spillover of the response to God's love for us. So when we love our neighbors, we don't do it to make ourselves out to be the hero. We don't do it to put a notch on our evangelism belt. We don't do it to thump our chest because it's not about us. It's about God and it's about God's love for us. So to bring this all together, a Pharisee lawyer meant to trap Jesus, right? And Jesus took a law question and he gave a love answer. He took a law question and he gave a love answer. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with every fiber of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. And in this powerful commandment, we learn that we can only truly love our neighbor as ourselves if our love overflows from God. So, New City Church, we can only do a few things really well. Would you agree? We can only do a few things really well. Let's make sure that one of them is the thing that Jesus said is the most important. Amen? Let us respond to God's love for us with every fabric of our being. Let us be challenged and encouraged that our love for God is only fulfilled when it spills over into our love of neighbor. And let us make the measure of our self-seeking be the extent of our self-serving. Specifically to our physical neighbors, to those who are closest, to those who are nearest to us. So I asked these questions earlier. What if we were to take Jesus' great commandment literally? What would God do in our midst? How would he change us? How would he change our city? I'm excited to find out. Let's find out together. Would you pray with me? Lord, we confess that as we wrestle with your great commandment that our love for you is often imperfect. It's selfish sometimes. It's wandering. But we're, we're thankful that your love for us is not as fragile. Your love for us is committed and sturdy and steadfast and faithful. And we are so thankful for that, Lord. And when we grasp that, when we understand that good news, we respond to you in worship. We respond to you in love. We respond to you in even loving our neighbors, loving those who are even the closest to us. And so as we go about our week, would you just grant us favor as we look to get to know our neighbors, as we look to live out the great commandment? Would you give us favor? Would you give us encouragement? Would you challenge us? Lord, we would humbly ask that you would do a mighty work in us this week, in our city, 
just with a simple act of love. We pray these things in your name. Amen.